Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome to the Aliyah Day, everybody. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin here, coming to you live from the headquarters of Lapid Judaism, located in Saginaw, Texas, which is just, just north, just a few minutes north of downtown Fort Worth, here in the great state of Texas. So welcome, everybody. Glad you are here. Let's see who's joining us online this morning. Very excited to be with everybody from across the Fruited Plain and the globe. Welcome, Hadas. Glad you are here. One of our local Lapidniks, Stephanie, one of our precious Lapidniks watching from California. From uh, We have Lynn. Welcome, Lynn. Shoshana Timon from Tulsa. Yara, welcome. Joy, welcome. Watching from New Hampshire. Lindsay, glad you are here and able to watch live today. Dominique, watching from Kansas City. Shem, my brother Shem, welcome. Watching from the Tulsa area. Diane Bloom, welcome. We are glad that you are here. And uh, Menashe, the mighty hover, is watching this morning. Who else do we have? Gabrielle, watching from Deutschland. Welcome, Gabrielle. Good evening to you, sir. Welcome from, uh, from uh, Germany. And we have, uh, who else? Uh, Rachel, Rachel watching from Tulsa. Welcome, Rachel, my daughter, Rachel. Patricia, welcome. Nancy, welcome. Jenea from Kansas City, welcome. Regina, welcome. Raphael, Raphael Groff, one of our local Lapidniks. Glad you are here. Daniel, welcome. Me, Miguel, bienvenidos, Miguel. And um, uh, Derek from California. Welcome, Derek. Glad you are here. And who else we have? Uh, <clears throat> Batya. Batya Gage, the uh, Wonder Woman, the wife of the Mighty Hover. Welcome. Keela. Well, hello, Keela. How are you? Welcome. Glad you're here. Keela is one of our local Lapidniks. Uh, and Georgia, watching from London, Ontario, Canada. Wow. So many beautiful people. It is a joy to see everybody in the house today. W- welcome. Mandy, glad you are here, <clears throat> and uh, it is a joy to have all of you precious people. I was made aware yesterday that uh, uh, it's very um, wonderful that some people uh, watch the, well, obviously, many, many of you watch the uh, Aliyah Day live, and then some people will catch it later. Uh, some people listen to it on the podcast, usually there is 40 or 50 people that will listen on podcasts. And I apologize if you're listening to the podcast this morning, the audio, audio is probably not that great. But I had taken my uh, tablet home that has a special microphone that I use for the podcast to make my voice sound dynamic and beautiful. Um, but I took it home because on that tablet, I have the Legends of the Jews. And I was, uh, uh, anyway, deep in study last night, looking at the Legends of the Jews, and uh, this Jew forgot his tablet at home. So using the podcast on a different thing this morning. So anyway, sorry about that. Uh, but there's other people who watch the uh, Aliyah day in the evening. Some people watch it in the morning. Some people watch it as part of their Arab Shabbat. Anyway, it's just a... A real blessing to know that, and I'm so glad that um, that people are being able to enjoy it and learn and glean and be with me wherever you are, whether we're in the spirit or in the flesh. All right, we are on page 121. Welcome, Mazel. Welcome to my daughter, Hadassah. Welcome. 
Page 121, we are in chapter 25. Chapter 25 starts the sixth Aliyah. Good evening, John, from India. John, I'm going to have some delicious Indian-style chicken tonight for Arab, and we were looking so forward to it. And uh, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about you, John, when I was planning the menu. Um, anyway, love you, brother. Glad you're here. All right. Um, chapter 25, verse 1. Avraham preceded... And took a wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Maidan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dadan, and the children of Dadan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leomim, and the children of Midian, Epha and Epher, Hanok, Abida, Elda'ah. All these were the descendants of Keturah. Avraham gave all that he had to Isaac, everything that he had. Now, I want to just pause here and point out a spiritual picture. Because we remember that when you're reading the apostolic writings, the apostolic letters, it mentions that the father gave everything to Yeshua, the, the son, if you will. And so the father gave everything to the son. Everything was put under his control, under his dominion. Everything the father has is given to him. And we let, let us not forget, as I've said a couple of different times, that Isaac is the image of the father who was offered on the altar. And so here we see another spiritual picture, another precedent. And that is that the father gave everything to the son who laid down his life willingly for the atonement of his children, of his people. So it says, But to the concubine children who were Avraham's, Avraham gave gifts. Then he sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he was still alive, eastward to the land of the east. Verse 7, Now these are the days of the years of Avraham's life, which he lived a hundred years, seventy years and five years, and Avraham expired and died at a good old age, mature and content. And he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, facing Mamre. Now, there are many who believe that Keturah was actually Hagar. Hagar um, kind of went away, and then she had more of a, of a, deep, a deeper, a more, um, you could say, more radical conversion, more radical transformation, and she ended up changing her name to Keturah. And the root of Keturah is Keturot, which means incense offering. So her life became like an incense offering. Well, along with that, Ishmael also made tshuva. And I think that there's a great lesson there because we look, when, last time we left Ishmael, Ishmael was on, a, he was on a bad path. He wasn't doing things right. Um, he was making fun of Isaac at the very least. At the very worst, he was molesting Isaac. That's, it depends on some of the opinions of the commentaries. But nevertheless, Ishmael was not doing well. But there was, came a point where Ishmael made Juvan that he came back to Hashem, that he came back to his roots. And so I think it's an interesting life lesson for us that we should never um, give up on our loved ones and our family. You know, they may be really away from Hashem right now or they may be completely against everything. 
uh, Lapid Judaism, against all of this crazy Jewish stuff. But, you know, we should keep davening for them. Because we see a picture here of Ishmael coming back and making teshuva. So it says, he buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Verse 10, the field that Avraham had bought from the children of Heth, there Avraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it was after the death of Avraham that God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled near Ber Lai Roy. Now, verse 12 begins the seventh aliyah. And it says, um, These are the descendants of Ishmael. Okay. These are the descendants of Ishmael. And it says that, uh, uh, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, born to uh, Avraham. It says, Ishmael's firstborn, Neboi, Kedar, Adbil, and Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, and Masa, Hadad, and Tema, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedim. These are the sons of Ishmael. And these are their names by their open cities and by their strongholds, 12 chieftains for their nations. These were the years of Ishmael's life, 137 years when he expired and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah to Shur, which is near Egypt, towards Assyria, over all his brothers he dwelt. Baruch Hashem. <clears throat> that is the end of our portion, our tour portion for the week. Now, the great news is, is that this year we are having a, a year-long study through Breshit, through Genesis. So each and every week we're diving deeper into each chapter of the book of Genesis. So we're going to come back to all of this, uh, this, this uh, whole, whole week of the Aliyah Day, which, which I think has been packed full of wonderful insights was really just a drive-by. It was just, <laughs> I mean, all things considered, it's just a drive-by of information. But let's get to some other uh, thoughts. Go back to Mayam Loez and look at a few things that we got left on the proverbial table as we are exploring this uh, portion. I want to bring out something that we discussed um, last night. We were having a, a Torah uh, um, study, a Torah discussion, and lots of uh, different sparks were flying, but... One of the concepts that I want to bring down, again, I want to focus in um, on the concept of looking at, at spiritual pictures. And there, if you read some of the commentaries, some people might find that uh, some of the ancients say that when Isaac married Rivka or when Eliezer discovered Rivka or whatever, that she was three years old. And many people who don't know anything about Judaism, about Yiddishkeit, um, they don't come from Jewish backgrounds, they freak out about that because <clears throat> they think, wait a minute, this is pedophilia, this is crazy, how can you have a girl who's three years old married to a grown man who's 37 and that's sick and disgusting and all this Lashon Hara and all this uh, evil uh, talk and stuff happens about Judaism. Never mind the fact that halakhically it is absolutely forbidden to marry a minor. Okay, you're not allowed to marry a a girl who's not yet reached, uh, well, puberty, I guess. You know, uh, a minor girl, right? So it's against against halakha, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what does it mean she's three years old? Because we know she's not literally three years old. 
Because a three-year-old girl, first of all, can can not really talk. I mean, they can kind of talk, you know, a little bit. Three-year-old kids around here always say, Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi, which is so sweet. But uh, they can't carry enough water to, to, to water camels, right? So what does it mean? It means that she was, and this is what we deduce from this, that she was not literally three years old, but there was an, a point at which Rivka was born again three years old. So that the time when, when uh, she, she married Isaac, that she was born anew, like a new creation. And so she was three years old into that new creation life. Now, one of the reasons we say this is because if we go back in Ma'am Loez's commentary, and this is also found in Ochaim's commentary, which I'll read in a second, we find an interesting idea. And that is that the birth, the quote-unquote birth of Rivka, is made known to um, Abraham immediately after the sacrifice of Isaac at the Akedah. Now, a couple of things here. We learned that immediately after the Akedah, immediately following that, that um, Abraham goes back and he discovers that Sarah is dead. And he mourns her and he didn't, he didn't know. He, there's discussion about he wish he would have been there, that type of thing. So wait a minute. At what point was he told and by whom was he told that Rivka had been born. What did he, they, he got a text message on his cell phone. They sent him a uh, Instagram. What was it? They got a, he got a messenger. I mean, how did they look it up on Facebook on the way back? How did this happen? And I don't know that there's a solid answer. I'm going to give you my opinion. Don't really have a source for it. This will make that known. But I believe that, that if this is a divine communication by Hashem to Avraham, saying, Avraham, there has been a girl who has been, quote, born. And what was, what was the, uh, if you think about the spiritual picture again, we're talking about the bride who would be married to the image of the father who was offered for the atonement of the people. That's, that's the, I want you to keep that in your mind. So we're talking about the bride. When was the bride born? in order to become the bride of the image? And the answer is she was born at the offering. She was born at the sacrifice. She was born when he willingly laid down on the wood. So that's what it's saying here. It says that, that God is telling Abraham because he's thinking in his mind, you know what? I, I There's an interesting dialogue here, Ma'am Loez. Uh, Abraham was a, um, elated because of the Yakida, but he felt bad that he had not yet married off his son Isaac. If you think about it, Isaac is 37 years old. That is a rather, rather old, particularly in antiquity, to not have been married yet. Okay? I mean, back in those days, it was not uncommon for a young person to get married at 18, maybe even 15 Okay, sometimes younger than that. Sometimes girls were married at 14. I know in our day and age, um, we're like 14. Wow, I mean, I, I, my, uh, one of my daughters is 15. I can't imagine her being married already. I rebuke that. But um, back in antiquity, it's a whole different world. Different levels of maturity, all those kind of things. I don't know. I didn't live back then, so I can't tell you. But um, 
if you think about it, 37. But here's the situation is that he could not have become married at 37 because there had to be that spiritual act of laying his life down that happened had to happen first. Just like Mashiach was in his 30s when he laid his life down and he was not married. He did not become married, as it were, until after the offering, until after the resurrection, until... That's that's when he was able to take a bride, as it were, only in his case, of course, the bride is the collective body of those who have a moon and a Mashiach. So this is when Rivka is born. Rivka is born when, when Isaac lays down his life. She's born again. Because you think about it, Rivka actually comes from an idolatrous family. She's surrounded by idolaters. Her father's an idolater. We know her brother, Laban. He's an occultist and an idolater. And yet we learn in the commentaries that when she comes to the tent of, of Sarah, Isaac observes her. This is actually giving away something in the Torah spark, in the, excuse me, in the, in the Shabbat table sparks. But he observes her. And one of the things he observes that, that indicates that him that, you know what? I've heard the report and the testimony of Eliezer, and that's really wonderful, and I, I, I accept that, but I need to kind of see for my own self, is, is she the real deal? And one of the ways that he realizes that she's the real deal is that he finds that she lights, she kindles the Sabbath lights in, in the tent of Sarah and experiences the same anointing as a result of that that Sarah experienced. And so... How did that happen? How does this lady, how does this woman know to light the Sabbath lights if she grew up in a house of idolatry? And I'm going to surmise, this is, again, my opinion, this is from the Rombel, that at some point she heard about the Akedah of Isaac that her uncle had, had, had done, and she put her faith in it. And as a result of that, she was born anew. <clears throat> Interestingly, it talks about, and we were talking about mourning earlier this week. It says, everyone is obligated to mourn or to honor a Zadik. Why? Because everyone is considered to be a, his relative. And all must mourn him with heart and soul. Why is that the case? Why is it that everybody is considered to be the relative of a Zadik, and therefore we're supposed to mourn them as if we were mourning one of our brothers and sisters? And the answer is because one of the primary roles of a Zadik is to teach people Torah and help them draw near to Hashem. And as a result, the, the sages bring down, Hazal bring down that as a result of that fact, everybody that you bring near to Hashem, everybody that you encourage to embrace this walk of life, every holy spark that you pray for, that you yearn for, that you, that you cultivate and bring near, every one of those holy sparks become like your spiritual children. So, so that if you think about Rivka, if she put her faith in the Akida, if she believed in that experience, then she became not just the bride, but she also became the daughter of the Zadik. Which is one reason why it's not, it wasn't uncommon in antiquity to, for husbands to refer to their wives as my daughter. It's not uncommon. It doesn't mean that literally... 
<clears throat> they were, um, uh, what doesn't mean that literally they were their daughter, obviously. That's, of course, forbidden by Torah law to marry, obviously. Now, I want to say something. Um, this is kind of an aside, but I, I just happened to look at it, so I want to share it. Uh, for all of you ladies out there that love jewelry, and um, uh, most ladies love jewelry, I rarely find one that doesn't. Um, but I just want to point out, in case you're wondering, that according to Ma'am Loez, brings down that um, Rivka was given a nose ring. But it wasn't just a nose ring, like just with gold, but it actually had a precious stone in it. So the question becomes, for those who are curious, when Eliezer um, went to his shop, Zales, to get the jewelry, what did he pick out? And so the answer is, is that back in those days, the most precious of all stones was the emerald. And so it says here, according to Ma'am Loez, that embedded in the nose ring that he gave to uh, uh, Rivka was a very large, very precious, very expensive emerald. So I just want to throw that out. I'm, some of you ladies are probably talking to your husbands right now and telling them you should need an emerald. And so there, there's that. So um, another th thing about the bracelets was interesting. It says that the bracelets were a half shekel uh, precious stone weighed sim uh, symbolized the half shekel that each Jew would give for the census. The two bracelets, this is an interesting note, the two bracelets symbolized the two tablets, which would be binding upon Rivka's descendants, and the ten shekels that they weighed collectively symbolized the ten commandments. The reason I want to mention that is because many people think about the Torah the tablets, the commandments, as handcuffs. These are shackles that keep us bound and we're not allowed to do what we want to do. But I just want to point out that that's not how Jews and Judaism view the commandments of God. We view the commandments of God as precious golden bracelets that we get to wear, that we get to enjoy, that we get to show off, that we get to um, make us feel more beautiful. They're not handcuffs. They're golden bracelets. There's a big difference, and I'm sure you can figure it out, between handcuffs and gold bracelets. So I just want to mention that as, as I was reading that insight and kind of they were discussing the symbolism between these, uh, these uh, gifts and what that means. So going back to another insight about Rivka. And let me see where I shall begin here. Let me go to Orchaheim. I just thought this was an interesting insight here as well. Um, Eliezer is praying. And it says in Orchaheim to chapter 24 and verse 12, it says... Eliezer was confident in the righteousness of his master. So when he was praying that, that Abraham's um, an, uh, prayer, excuse me, should be answered, he had confidence that Abraham had the appropriate kedusha, the appropriate amuna, that he should be answered. And he was convinced that the prayer that he prayed, he shall send his angel before you and shall take a wife for my son from there, had been accepted. He was... Eliezer was confident in all of that. So the question becomes, why did he pray like he prayed? 
He says, but Eliezer added a prayer. This is what Eliezer said. When, God, when Eliezer was praying, he said that he, Eliezer, should be considered worthy of having the matter carried out through him. As he said, so arrange it for me this day that you do kindness with my master. Now, this is a very interesting insight because, because it says, for you sometimes find, this is what Orhaim says, for you sometimes find that even though a prayer was accepted by Adonai, he is willing to fulfill a request. The prayer is held back from being fulfilled because the messenger to whom the matter was entrusted is considered unworthy of having it fulfilled through him. This reminds me of the bracha that we say from the Siddur. We say it on Shabbat, where it says that we're asking God to send us a or chadash, a new light. And then we pray that God should make us worthy of the light. See, this to me is very important because let me just bring it home personally. The vision of Lapid Judaism, an authentic, Torah-true, um, halakhic uh, Judaism, observant Orthodox Judaism, centered on Messiah Yeshua, that vision will be fulfilled because it's the will of Hashem. This is what we're doing here, what we're advocating here is this gospel that Yeshua um, lived and taught. This is what the apostles lived and taught, what we're doing here. Now, as I was talking to some of the guys last night, I just want to emphasize a point here as an aside. That the reason why, and I've, I talk a lot about not ever losing your why. Many people know what they do, and many people know how they do it. But very few people know why they do it. And our why must never be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I am here is because of Messiah Yeshua. The reason why I know what I know today is because of Messiah Yeshua. The reason why I have just on my desk right here, not including what's on the shelves around me and my shelves at home, several books, chumashim, commentaries, whatever, whatever. The reason I even know that they exist is because of Messiah Yeshua. The reason why I know you is because of Messiah Yeshua. The reason why this synagogue, this this building that I'm sitting in right now, thank God, the reason it exists and the reason the people are here is because of Messiah Yeshua. Thus, if I ever, God forbid, throw Messiah Yeshua under the bus or diminish him in some way, making, make him somehow secondary to this life, you know, live a Jewish life, but not kind of keep him under wraps, kind of, you know, don't kind of push him off to the side. That's not such a big deal. That's not good. Because he is the why. Now, 
the vision of Lapid Judaism will be fulfilled. It will happen. It will occur. It will be manifest on the earth. It will bring in many, many, many holy sparks. It will achieve what it is sent to achieve because the word of God never returns to him void. The question becomes, am I, are you, are we worthy to be its messenger? That's the question. And that's what Eliezer was saying here. He said, I know that, I know that this, this is answered already. I know that this is going to happen. I know that the, pro, the appropriate wife for my master's son is going to come forth. What I'm most concerned about is, will it, will it happen through me? Father, send me that light. Make me worthy of the light. What a terrible existence we would have if we were given the light to Messiah Yeshua and we were given it because he was the why. And then somehow we forgot that along the way. Got distracted, looked at the pretty bracelet and got enthralled by the bracelet, looked at the pretty tree and got enthralled by the tree, smelled the fruit and got enthralled by that, Observe the fence and how beautiful it is. Only to be found not worthy of the message. That's what Lapid is, isn't it? That's what it says in Midrash Noach. It says that the Lapid is the person who's the messenger of an important message. But if the messenger forgets the message then what's the point of the messenger? Rivka was coming out. It's my final thought today. Rivka was coming out. This means that Rivka was being brought out to the spring, it says here in Orchayim, by a force other than herself. This is because of Eliezer's prayer that she was being brought out, it says. Adonai caused her to come out at the very moment, not a moment earlier and not a moment later. And we learn in Yochanan 6 and verse 44 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Why are you here? Why am I here? Why do we have these? Why do we know this? Because the Father drew us. And he drew us to be a bride to the image of the Father that was offered for the atonement of our sins. Messiah Yeshua, may his name be praised. Shalom and blessing, end of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. May you have a very, 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 very Shabbat Shalom. And may it be God's will that we see everybody tomorrow in the shul. And may we all have the beautiful merit of seeing the end gathering of many, many holy sparks. God bless you. Thank you so much for spending your week with me. Let's spend the day together tomorrow. And may we have a very happy week after that. Shalom and blessings.